Hi, everyone. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO Simon Erickson, joined by my Seven Investing lead advisor colleague, Matthew Cochran. You're tuning in to part two of our deep dive of investing in India. In part one, we just dug in to India's growing e-commerce and digital banking model uh, with our special guest, Deval Kotecha. On today's show, we're going to hear the perspective of two more Indian investors, Ramnit Kundra and also Socket Reddy, as they share what they believe are some of the greatest opportunities, the greatest risks, and the single equities that they're looking at in the Indian market. Let's tune in to see what they have to say. Our first guest is Ramnik Kundra. Yeah, he's based in New Delhi, India. He has a very diversified background. Ramnik, maybe it'd be great if you could start us with your background and also kind of how you think about your own personal investing style. Yeah, so uh, I basically uh, started investing in uh, 2015 as like on the side uh, when I was working uh, for a SaaS startup. Uh, in New York, it, it was called Decisive. Uh, it was an RTP platform, uh, demand side platform. And uh, I worked uh, there as a customer success uh, manager. And uh, after that, uh, you know, after coming back from ho- uh, back to home, I used to read uh, investing books uh, uh, and just got into it. And uh, I made my first investment uh, in Under Armour, which was a momentum stock back then. And it just went up and I was like, hey, I can do this stuff. Uh, It's easy. And then I invest, ended up investing in a few oil companies based on Ben Graham, (laughs) Ben Graham's uh, intelligent investor. Uh, And I was like, oh, and then I got really creamed in the market Uh, and lost like 90% of my my investment in Chesapeake Energy. so yeah, that was a good lesson to invest in like great companies. And then I just, the, so the third investment I made was in charter communications, which just went up and never looked back uh, since then. So I've been learning since then and uh, really enjoy investing as an intellectual experience and uh, uh, of course, like making money from it. Uh, that's a that's a great intro, Ramnik. So let's just back up for our uh, listeners and tell us like how you view the bigger picture in India and its macro macroeconomic outlook. Uh, yeah. So so if you if you think about India, uh, uh, macroeconomic outlook, I think uh, I'm not a macro expert, but uh, what what I would say is uh, before every. Uh, four major booms in India, we have had a U.S. recession. Uh, And why is that important? Uh, That is important because uh, there are two, three things that a U.S. recession does to a poor country like India, right? So first you have like uh, oil uh, demand that just goes down in a U.S. recession because people are not spending uh, as much as they would. And after that, uh, India, that's a 3% uh, GDP tailwind for a country like India, which imports a lot of oil, right? And then after that, you have, uh, you have bond yields collapsing in the US. So that naturally prompts uh, big investors to look outside the US. Uh, and so they go for emerging markets and uh, they go for india they go for and 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 the dollar usually is stable or or going like sideways during these times so the the currency risk is fairly lower uh, to 
to these investors because in the long term over the long term over the past 50 years if you look at dollar and ion inr indian rupee track record uh, it's about like 3% it's grown at 3.5% cagr since india's independence uh, so dollar is always a tailwind for foreign investors so it's always a good time to look at india when the us is slowing down and probably i think one of the reasons uh, 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 facebook invested in geo is not only because india's uh, 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 geographical uh, uh, like fiber uh, footprint is growing or like broadband penetration is going it, it is also about the timing uh, to invest in india so that's how i think about the macro picture you want me to talk about it yeah so what what would you say are like the opportunities and challenges then for investors looking to invest in india see the first challenge that you have as a foreign investor is that you get no control of the management uh, uh in indian companies you have absolutely no say as a minority shareholder because most businesses are majorly owned by uh, notorious pr- promoters uh you know kind of like uh, uh like they they would have about like 50% uh you know ownership in the businesses and then second challenge is about fraudulent accounting because if you have such control you have basically auditors in your pockets right uh, so you if you run forensics on the books of majority of companies in india you will find out that more than 50% of the businesses uh, books are cooked right mm-hmm. so that renders them completely uh, non investable for someone like uh, you know uh, a carlyle or or kkr or brookfield so you can quickly go so there there are a few hacks uh, so they are like you can quickly look at their auditor fee growth and like their revenue growth so basically if the revenue growth is uh, like 5% and auditor auditor's fee growth is like 7% that's a red flag right uh, and operating cash flow as a percentage of uh, ebitda receivables related party transactions where auditor is uh, not auditor promoter is basically lending uh, money to to the business at higher rates than uh, than what they can get from uh, from a bond or a uh, promissory bonds or just from the bank and their billions uh, of dollars and they are busy with their own hobbies playing golf and you know flying over the in the jets and uh, you know interested in philanthropy so do you have like all these agency and governance issues and that's why people are like always wary of oh we are not going to invest in emerging markets well you suck at investing and you are not looking at all these things right <laughs> so you 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 are you are going into an uncharted territory and you are you are applying the same investing framework that you would apply in the us or in any developed economy but that that won't fly over here right so it's just your problem rather than a country's or uh, it's a competence issue i would say so you have to talk about all these uh, things out if you come to india and you think you're going to invest in inherently cheap and obscure stocks and make money the chances are you'll get creep uh, so these are the challenges that i see Ramnika, based on your background and kind of your understanding of the Indian market, is there you know a stock or two stocks that's really on your radar that you're really interested in right now? Yeah. Uh, so uh, so yeah, I'll I'll just tell you like you know now the opportunities in India. India is the only country, if you look at uh, in the world, that has twenty listed companies 
generating 70% of the corporate uh, company uh, country's corporate profits just 20 companies uh, and and because our our uh, uh, public markets are still lagging behind what's happening in the real economy so in so you would think you know if you look at the listed space in india you would look at uh, companies which are like old economy companies but at the same time the revolution real revolution is happening in tech uh, so, so SEBI, which is the uh, Securities Exchange Board of India, uh, has uh, like these absurd hurdles of making like uh, accounting profits and all those things before you list. Uh, so, if you do that, then you are going to list uh, on the on the stock exchange. So that's the problem, right? So you are not able to list all these uh, great tech companies which are generating massive. Uh, profits and uh, growing like crazy. So, so there are old economies. So there is a disconnect between what what's happening in real corporate India and what's happening in the public markets. So, uh, so that's why I like to like uh, segregate. You know, like these top twenty companies. So this is the data that comes from one of the uh, Indian firms, uh, Marcellus Investment Managers. Uh, they said like twenty listed companies in India. Uh, 30 years ago in 1990 generated about 14% of the total uh, profit and now it's 70%. So you can see the mass consolidation that's happening. As a long-term investor, I feel my job is to participate in the success of these companies rather than like just go against the tide and find out my own obscure companies, which will be the big companies of tomorrow. Because out of these 20 companies, I figured like, you know, 10 years from now, even at least 10 companies are alive, my portfolio will be alive and kicking. So one of the companies I identified, uh, which I feel is undervalued currently is ITC. And ITC is, uh, is an imperial tobacco company, how it, uh, how it was called. Now it's just ITC because we are no more imperialist in this world. Uh, so it was uh, established by like British, uh, during British Raj in India. And uh, it's a hundred year old conglomerate, uh, you know, a own, like basically owns 80% of the legal cigarette market in India. So it's basically like Eltria of India, Eltria owns 50% and uh, ITC owns uh, uh, 80%. Uh, but it, it, uh, what, what, where it differenti uh, dif uh, differs from Eltria is uh, it doesn't have bad uh, capital allocation. It doesn't have... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't have any debt and it is so diversified away from uh, tobacco business that you cannot even now call it a primary, primarily a tobacco company because more than 50% of its revenue comes from non-tobacco businesses. And it was like 65% 10 years ago. But so, what are what are some of those other businesses that's involved in, if if not yeah, tobacco? So that's what I was getting into. So like they, they are investing uh, majorly into CPG. So they they are the second largest brand uh, in. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like they are the second largest brand in uh, 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 in instant noodles, uh, and they are the uh, fastest growing, second fastest growing uh, uh, CPG company in India at the moment. And their uh, non-cigarette business is growing at more than uh, 50%. So in the last 10 years, what they have done is uh, they have given back 60% uh, of their free cash flow, uh, sorry, cash flow back to the 
back to the shareholders, right? Uh, in the form of dividends, but 40% of that cash flow has been reinvested. So the narrative has been, oh, ITC is investing in all these hotels, businesses, and everything like that. But only 4% of the total cash flow went into the hotels, which is a low uh, return on invested capital kind of business. But that also helped them sell their CPG products, right? So, so there are lots of synergies and even their so the, the their uh, average uh, return on invested capital is 40% right <laughs> throughout their business wow. 40% That's and the business high. right now sells for about like 14x uh, x cash and they're growing their cpg business at about 30% clip on average and their cigarette business is growing in terms of uh, because India, in 88% market, a cigarette market in India is still illegal because the, the reason being India, uh, the government asked people, uh, the, the companies to put a major warning where you have like a man in the picture and you have like big cancer in the mouth where they show it. And so the people, uh, so people opt for, opt for foreign cigarettes, uh, the smuggled one. Uh, once, so IDC still have a long growth rate, uh, rate ahead of it, right? Even in cigarette business, because you have the the uh, largest uh, uh, demo, uh, youngest demographic in the world, where the average age is in twenties, right? So even their cigarette business is pretty good, pretty healthy, and uh, their eighty percent of their profits come from cigarette businesses, free cash flow. Uh, so the lowest uh, return on invested capital they have uh, is in uh, their paper business, and that's twenty five percent. Still incredibly high. That yeah. So and it's a commodity business, mind you. Mm -hmm. So like it's a paper business. I don't know any paper business in the world that generates twenty five uh, percent. Probably I'm ignorant. I don't know, but like twenty five percent sounds a real good return to me in a in a commoditized business and their cpg business growing fast so they are coming out of a capex cycle from in the last 15 years they had some challenges where they had a distribution challenge so one of the insights i found was you know in in 2015 idc was delivering their biscuits and cookies uh, through the same channel where their uh, same supply, distribution channel where they were supplying uh, uh, through uh, through uh, the same channel which they use for cigarettes, and usually you when you when uh, you know uh, cigarettes are unloaded from the from the trucks, uh, they usually throw the cigarettes very fast. So like throw the cigarettes and the boxes and everything, but you cannot do that with biscuits, right? Because biscuits will break and cookies will break. So they had this problem. They fixed that problem by completely changing their. Uh, their uh, supply chain and uh, no one talks about it no no one knows about this stuff so the narrative going forward I think is going to completely change as their margin would ex expand because they are coming out of a capex cycle and their return on invested capital would jump up to about 60 65 percent easily uh, over time and I think the stock will uh, and you you get like uh, basically narrative change premium as well and then you get uh, uh, a discovery premium in terms of uh, the insights I'm sharing with you uh, so I think the stock could easily trade at like 30x multiple 
on the forward earnings, which will keep on growing at 10, 11, 12%. So you get easily, uh, conservatively, you get 18, and you get 5% dividend yield. So you easily get like 18, 19% return for next, uh, probably like seven, eight years. So you get like seven, eight X in 10 years, I think. Yeah, so you really, I mean, I'm sorry, Simon. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, you really, you have like, uh, you have the tobacco business, but you have, you know, you have the consumer staples like covered with the the food brands it has, personal care brands, uh, like the paper products, the stationery. You have some consumer discretionary uh, exposure there with some hotels. Uh, you know, it's really one of those consumer, it reminds you a lot of like a, a Procter and Gamble or, or, or something like when, when the American middle class was growing like decades ago, uh, I, I definitely see the potential here. Right, and and the thing is, like with IDC, uh, the narrative change uh, would would also make a big difference over here because uh, you know uh, it's it's not only a company which just does like cigarette or like. Uh, focused on just making money. It's a very progressive company. And you know, when Microsoft is talking about going carbon positive in like next 10 years by uh, 2030, ITC has been carbon positive despite their cigarette emissions and all that for past 11 years. Wow. It has been a, it's the only company that's been carbon positive for past 11 years in the world. And it's, it's the, it's, it has the hotels, it has these mammoth hotels which have which are like the greenest hotels in the world they have the maximum plants uh and maximum green footprint uh throughout there so it's a it's a very progressive uh professionally run uh organization which i think no one is paying attention to right now is that important in in india as it is in the us right now like that the the carbon neutral footprint and uh like the green uh, like the green movement, is, is that as big and important to the Indian consumer as it is to American consumers? So right now, uh, like with my uh, kind of generation, like I'm, I'm 30 right now. So like uh, with my generation, it's very uh, popular. Like we would invest in something like sustainable, you know, ESG kind of thing. Like I don't think like specifically like ESG because ESG funds I've seen owning British Petroleum. So, <laughs> you, you uh, so but but at the same time you you think about like sustainable stuff. Uh, uh, youth does does think about it. Like young people definitely think about it. But it's not as big as in the US. But it's growing fast, and you can see why ITC is uh, uh, ahead of its, uh, of, it, of where it is located, right? So that's the point. Yeah. It's Let looking me just forward. to, to, to uh, recap a few of the things that you said that I thought were really interesting. It seems like there is a lot of risk and a lot of difficulty in finding smaller companies in India. One, because of the accounting. Two, you're up against really huge companies. But what's really interesting, like you also mentioned, is that those huge companies are nowhere near completely saturated or mature yet. I mean, 25% ROIC for paper processing still has plenty of growth. It's just accompanying that Indian, um, you know, kind of macro growth of the whole company or the whole country and the consumer. And then the dividends. It sounded also like dividends are very important for, for investors, for those large companies to pay out. What was it? 60% payouts. For dividends, I mean, any any final thoughts, I guess, about India or, or ITC that uh, investors here in the United States should be thinking about? Uh, 
yeah, uh, that just don't look for obscure, uh, like small companies because uh, you will uh, you will have real problems uh, in that area. But once you get going with the large uh, business landscape and like you know large conglomerates, once you have a grip of understanding of all the large companies in India and how they generate their returns, then you can you know, venture into some of the mid cap companies or like smaller cap companies where you would have like, you know, kind of a pattern recognition kicking in. You will be like, okay, this is a monopoly essential product, uh, you know, high ROCE and, uh, you know, the management is of this pedigree and then you, you're good to go, uh, you know, but, but don't start with, uh, uh, you know, small cap and mid cap investing. That's not the way to do it. Uh, it's it's just strong advice, but like even even to someone like uh, you know some someone uh, in private equity who has like great experience or something like that, which do a lot of uh, you know legwork uh, on the ground. Uh, that's my advice. Uh, it's really hard, I think. What what's ITC's market cap like in, in U.S. dollars? Oh. In U.S. dollars, let me check. Uh, like about so, just just. Well, IDC also has an ABR, basically. That's uh, what I was going to ask too. If they if they were actually available for American, yeah, they investors. are. They are. They are. I meant they to ask that too, or point ITC that out, or. Why it's yeah. a IDCTY. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so they have. Uh, so I I don't know. I don't look at ABRs as much, but it's a uh, two four two trillion. Let me check. Uh, two. So it's somewhere around like $33 billion, uh, IDC's market cap. So that's not too much. Like if you would have asked me uh, five years ago, that would have been a uh, $41 or $42 billion market cap because because, uh, uh, the dollar appreciated. Wow. Wow. Now that's that's really interesting, Ramnik. It, it's yeah, it's crazy. This this blows my mind. It's still I, I still can't get over it. It's it's like the the expression of having your cake and eating it too, where you can have a company that can put forty percent of its money back into its business, that it's getting at least twenty five percent ROIC, which is un, which is crazy to me. I don't know of any conglomerate in America that get anywhere close to that. But then in yeah. addition to that, it's still paying out sixty percent as a dividend. I, I mean that's yeah, like the and twenty percent return per year. I mean. Matt, we gotta we gotta start looking at some Indian companies. Yeah, no, I, I'm I mean, thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, we need to yeah, get like a, an India basket have, here going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you guys have like it's it's uh like you know whenever I talk to uh, people in the U.S. about like Indian stocks and everything, uh, whenever they are they are always excited. They're like, oh, dollar would appreciate and everything. I was like, dollar would just appreciate like. Two and a half, three percent. You are going to make twenty percent. You're not going to find a company that makes seventeen percent easily in the U.S. No, no. <laughs> you got to take a lot of risk for that in the U.S. Yeah, you're not yeah. investing in conglomerates if you want that return here. Yeah, and also like these are these are like the fans of India. So so you are investing in like real large monopolistic companies. Uh, it's not like you're investing in a small U.S. company. So. Is the smoking population in India declining like it is like in the U.S. or is it like holding steady? Is it growing? Like how, how's the smoking population look? Well, Matt, if you look at our, our population, how it's totally growing. 
so so uh, it's like uh, we are 130 like 130 uh, yeah 130 1.3 billion people right it's crazy so, so 1.3 billion people uh, growing at like 1% every year or something like that uh, you are looking at a flat uh, smoke, smoking rate and and the population is young so like i think average uh, pop, uh, age in india is about like i can i think you can look it up on yeah, google yeah i saw that I no i i came out of it's my like research yeah, yeah it's like two thirds of the population is under the age of 35 or something right so, so, it's crazy very young yeah. population and in india one of the things that people don't realize is like you don't have to buy smoking packs you can buy a loose cigarette Mm. right wow and that's a big big uh, uh difference uh when it comes to like imagine you can pay you you see how many people when you meet in new york are, hey man i can buy buy a cigarette from you for a dollar when you are outside the club or something like that like it's it's so real so so the right. the mental hurdle just breaks down so you're paying right. like 50 cents for a, a for for a cigarette stick 50 cents, 60 cents. That's nothing. Even in huge India. margin, like 99% yeah. margin. <laughs> it's hundred percent ROIC. Yeah. Wow. hundred percent. So, I mean, uh, and, and regulatory hurdle, I don't see any company, uh, penetrating ITC is not because, uh, government keeps on increasing these duties. Uh, on on sin stocks like sin products yeah. and uh, in from 2013 to 2016 in every budget that india presented in the parliament uh, they just uh, uh, they just increased the due, uh, taxes on uh, on cigarettes by 10 to 12% but itc is still to increase that kind of uh, price uh, uh, you know uh, still doing that price hike in the process of doing it so in the next 10 years you will also see like 10 11 percent of, of price hike so and i'm fine with it like yeah. why not like if you're if you're smoking if you're doing like consuming a sin product like pay high for it like oh yeah so well it's the same it's same thing like you mentioned when you're talking about altria earlier i mean that is the I best performing that's the best performing american stock of the last 50 years because it's just the same you know, reinvest the dividends, dividends. limited competition, undervalued stock, put the money back into reinvest and just rinse and repeat. Like you can see, there was somebody on Finchwit the other day talking about how, how like, uh, when you, when you go for those best companies in, in quote unquote, bad industries, like with the smoking Mm -hmm. population declining, you actually can see better returns because you're not attracting competition anymore. So you just start, you just dominate that market. And even with a slow, steady decline, Nobody's coming in, so it's it, the market's all yours. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, so like regulatory. Sorry, go for it. Oh no, I was just going to say you nailed it when you said that they are actually a good capital allocator. Like uh, Matt and I were looking at the ITC annual report before we chatted with you. I mean, all three hundred and sixty-five pages of it, or whatever it was, it's huge. But like you know, they it seems like they are getting a really good bang for their buck for investing in um, the CPG stuff, like you were talking about the agriculture stuff. You know, all those different the paper. You know, I mean, 
that's what Altria wants to do. It's just that it has not done a very good job with it in the last. Yeah, Altria doesn't years. have good management. Like mm-hmm. that's the problem. Jewel, like, Jewel, but, but money on fire. Management is pretty spot on. Yeah. Uh, their culture is phenomenal. Uh, Altria doesn't think like forward, like in terms of ESG and all those things. But but these this company is really thinking hard about it. So they saw kind of a writing on the wall like ten years ago when their sixty five percent revenues for, were from cigarettes. They're like, we gotta change that. We're gonna have so now they're uh, only 47 percent of their revenues are from cigarettes 53 percent is from cpg business so last in, in two months ago they acquired a company uh, for 400 million dollars uh, uh and putting some cash to work like that's just a change uh for like pocket change for itc uh 400 million dollars they bought a spice company which is the largest spice company i think in west bengal uh in india and uh they, they bought it for like 2x sales and L, uh, and uh, and uh, ITC itself sells for four and a half times sales. <laughs> so, wow. So, so like it's immediately accretive. So yeah. like you, you pay like $400 million for something and your own stock sells for, uh, you know, 4x the sales. So you get a double by year and even if you don't in- integrate like wow. properly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, once again, uh, Ramnik Kundra, you know, calling in from, from New Delhi, India, you know, our, our informed opinion uh, of the Indian markets out there. Really appreciate you spending the time here with Seven Investing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Our next guest is Saket Reddy. He is calling from Hyderabad, India. Uh, Saket, thanks very much for joining Seven Investing. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, before we, we jump into investing in India, could you tell us first a little bit about your background and kind of how you self-describe your own investing style? Well, yeah, uh, just, um, yeah, I'm just a college student right now. I worked a lot on cash flows. You see, uh, I mean, a business can generate profits, but at the end, anyone who generates free cash flow is the real king in India because out of the top 500 companies like the S&P 500 in the US, here we have Nifty 500, which is called the CNX 500 as well. Here we have only 50 companies that are able to generate free cash flow, positive free cash flow every year. So it's it's very tough for an investor to invest in such companies because they're either too expensive or they're either uh, too big to grow. So I choose only those companies. I filter out every company, only those 50 companies stay. And then I look at the reinvestment rate, I look at their profitability and capital allocation is the main part. And I get almost 30 companies to invest in. And that's the proper filter. It's called growth investing as well. Now, Saket, with so with so few companies producing uh, uh, positive free cash flow and, and things like that in India, is, is that a challenge for investors in India to find new investments? Yes, it is a challenge. We have a benchmark index called Nifty 50. Uh, so in that index, only five to 10 companies generate free cash flow and earning seven grown since six years. It's only the top uh, two to three companies that have grown at a CAGR of 10 to 15% in the last 10 years. So it becomes really tough for an investor to choose what to invest in. So, you know, we have to go very deep into all the companies. Then we have to select the best companies because if you're an investor you have to beat the India's deposit rates because we have a pretty high deposit rate here 
we have a deposit rate of 6 to 8% per annum. That is quite high compared to the interest rates in the US, which is almost at 1 or 2%. So we have to beat that. So equity investors always fight with the fixed income guys in India. Gotcha. So if that's the challenge, but the, on the other side, you also have like a growing GDP and the overall uh, India's economy. You also have a growing middle class. So what, what are some of the opportunities that India presents for investors? Yeah, so these, uh, this, the concept that you're talking about, it's very underpenetrated. We have a lot of opportunities here. Insurance is a big opportunity for India, health insurance and life insurance. It's untapped. So there's only one uh, big player. It's, it's a government-owned entity. It's unlisted. It, it will be listed in the next two, three years, I guess. It, can, it has over 80% market share, but the private guys here, uh, as Matt talked about uh, HDB, the HDFC bank, the, their group has HDFC life insurance company. They are the best in the sector, and there are two, three other private insurance companies. They're growing at a brisk pace. Insurance is very underpenetrated. A lot of people are getting awareness only now in the last two, three years about insurance. That's one sector. Other sector is consumption. Consumption, uh, consumption in consumption discretionary, you know, ACs, you know, air conditioners, or you could talk about uh, televisions. These all are big things. Uh, other than that, one sector I'm, I'm focusing on for the next 10 years is asset management. As you see, uh, we have everything on the fixed income side. Equity investments is one tenth of fixed income investments in India. Almost uh, 130 lakh crores, that's about uh, 10 times the size of the largest listed company in India. That's the amount of money that's in fixed income. And now the deposit rates have fallen two third from, from the last decade. So passive index investing investments are coming now. Like in the US, S&P 500 ETFs, you know, the normal ETFs, the factor ETFs, you know, these are big things. Like what BlackRock has done in US, that's what I'm eyeing for India. Any company that does it, that will be the biggest wealth creator in the next 10 years. India's ETF, uh, you know, ETF industry has potential to go 100 times. So we are waiting to catch that. There's no company that does it so far. We are waiting for interest rates to fall more so that the fixed income guys shift to equities or gold. And that's one sector. Saket, could you elaborate just a bit more on what you were saying about how people were scared of their deposits getting lost with smaller banks? I know that everyone in India, in fact, probably the vast majority of people in India are not investing their money. But for those that are able to save money, how are they traditionally doing that today? And how do they think about the stock market? Yeah, people, uh, stock market is a little inferior in India. People have more liking towards fixed income because they've got near double-digit returns in fixed income. Our deposit rates were very high. Um, also, the interest rates were very high. So that's one thing. So most of people's savings is into fixed income. They go to the bank, they deposit, and they come off. That, that's, the, that's been more of a thing. Anyone who's a little, you know, who wants to take more risk, they've come into mutual funds. Mutual funds is a big industry again. It's growing at a very brisk pace, more, more, of, more so in uh, high teens, I guess. So mutual funds is a big sector, but mutual fund managers, the AMCs, they haven't generated index beating returns as well. So mutual funds, people are getting aware now. They return, they, they've checked, they check their returns. It's not satisfactory. They're coming out, they're coming into direct equities, which is a good thing. But if they go into the wrong stocks, it's again a bad thing. Then coming on to 
deposits. What happened was we have uh, one big bank that collapsed in 2018 uh, because our central bank had, you know, got a risk check done on that bank and it had removed and it had given notice to its CEO to remove, to, you know, to resign and uh, stay away from the bank. Then the stock price fell almost 60% in the next two days. So then it was okay. Then we had a good stable. It was stable for the next six to eight months. But then just before the coronavirus lockdown hit us, the government had decided that a, private, uh, a government bank will be taking over more stake. And, uh, uh, you know, a resolution was done. So that was the most part of it. No deposit lost any money before. It was only that deposit uh, depositors were uh, had to lock in their money for some time. Uh, no one lost anything, so that was the, it. Was a big bank. It was the third largest bank, I, I guess, at its peak. So something like what happened to Wirecard recently, if you know about that, just like that. That's one thing. And we have instead of these private banks, we have cooperative banks, which is you know a pool of people setting up a bank. And that had one uh, you know one case of a fraud which happened in the 2010s and that came out in the last year. Their depositors didn't lose any money, but they had to, the central bank had to cap their deposits. I mean, they could not take the entire money back for some time. So it's all resolved now. That's the only thing that people are scared of. So they're migrating into the bigger banks, the safer banks. That's the thing on deposits. And could you also speak a little bit more about the housing for all program that you mentioned earlier what is that yeah the central government has bought the housing for all program uh, you know uh, it's like it's divided into many things it's like uh, we give low interest rates to people who want their own house or we give capital to people who uh, you know capital at low interest of course to people who want to build their own house uh, it's something like that so a lot of real estate companies in 2014 went up 2014 to 17, we had a very big bull run in India. They went up like they became multi-baggers, but people didn't notice that. But uh, people didn't notice about their cash flows again. The government was not paying them at proper times. The same happened with infrastructure companies, the road builders, the the you know these the factory builders. The government had set up various policies, good policies, called Bharat Mala for roads, Agar Mala for sea routes. A lot of companies were were in contact with the government. Very good things happened, but again, government failed to pay them on time, and that had an effect on the company's earnings and the share prices crashed. So the thing is, like, I'll give an example on Netflix. Now, I don't hold Netflix directly, but I hold Okta, you know, because see, Netflix the subscriber pays and he watches his videos or watches his serials, but for Okta. Uh, Opta gives service to these subscription-based apps every time a user opens it. That's how it works for paint companies. Every time you buy a house, the real estate developer develops your house only one time. But you paint your house every eight years. You change your furniture every four to five years. You change your tiles every 10 years. So that's how things work here. Thanks and for that. One more th- yeah. yeah, go ahead, Sakat. And one more thing is that uh, we, uh, I look at sectors where there is minimal to no government intervention because wherever there is government intervention, it's it's a little risky to invest in it. Like power, like telecom. Telecom is a big cash cow. Telecom company has telecom companies. There are two to three companies only. 
they have a big sector they've got everything in favor of them they've got huge cash flows but government policies are eating their cash flows we have have we are having a case in our supreme court now we'll see what happens with that that decides the fate of the telecom companies as well uh, thanks for that great overview saket so uh we asked all of our guests uh, on this show to come up if they had one uh, stock to recommend in the India stock market, what would it be? So what, what is your pick for that? And what is your, uh, what's your, what's your pitch to our listeners today? Uh, you might feel a little bad about that because I'm, I'm speaking about Abbott India, which is listed in the US market as Abbott Labs, uh, because I'm not giving you a direct overview into an Indian company. So I'm sorry about that, but Abbott is my largest holding. You know, Abbott India, uh, people might not be ha- happy with my Abbott India buy because there's one thing with Abbott India that I want to tell you. It's a, it's a, bit, it's a little bit of a risk here. Uh, Abbott India is a subsidiary of Abbott Labs, which is listed in the in US. Now, Abbott Labs in the US has two subsidiaries in India. One is listed, one is unlisted. The listed company is Abbott India Limited, which deals in pharmaceuticals, that is tablets and uh, consumer health like Daijin. Now, the unlisted company in India, which is wholly owned by Abbott Labs in the US, deals with consumer health again, but more of multivitamins, more of uh, baby milk powder and all. Now, if you calculate the size of Abbott India Limited, the listed entity, and Abbott Healthcare, which is the unlisted entity, the size of the company is same, but investors in India are not getting exposure to the unlisted company. That's a big complaint for, from some of the investors, but no complaint for me because I have invested almost 10 to 20 percent of my exposure in about India to about labs in the US as well. So, no complaints from my side. Other than that, the company has high free cash flow. The company reinvests at least 60 percent of its profits back into business every year. The company has got high return on equity. The company has got return on invested capital of 150 percent. That's huge. It's an asset plate model. The company sells tablets, it sells vaccines. It does not uh, have its own. It, I think it's got a contract with Novo Nordisk to sell its vaccines. And the top, top 10 brands of Abbott have a moat in India. The top 10 brands have more than 80% market share. They're either the sector leader or they're the number two in that sector. That's how Abbott India is placed. And it's growing earnings at high mid teens, uh, mid to high teens. It's, it's, going, it's growing profits at. Uh, almost double digits and about India it's a growing company it's got hyper motor stakeholding and the one thing is that it's a illiquid stock here because it's got it's very high priced and that's it is is healthcare paid for by the government in India Sekhet uh, healthcare yeah they've got a, the government has brought up I mean it's divided into central and state in my state the government has brought up a big scheme uh, a couple of years ago so the state looks after most of the people's health care but the center has brought up another health scheme as well uh, a couple, one year ago i guess that's doing that that covers up most of the health care and uh, today today is the independent today is the independence day for us so our prime minister has announced a one nation one health card system as well so we have to see how that goes up Happy Independence Day, by the way. <laughs> what a day. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, uh, we really appreciate your perspectives here. Thank you for giving us quite a bit to think about, quite a few, quite a few opportunities over there in India. And we'll definitely be keeping an, an eye on Abbott India as well. Um, 
Saket Reddy, thanks again for joining Seven Investing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Matt. Okay, so Matt, this wraps up our two-part series of investing in India. We heard a lot of great perspectives from Deval, from Ranik, from Saket. I mean, all of these great investors in the Indian market. Let's pull this home together and, and kind of pull together a couple of key takeaways on what we think of everything that we heard. Uh, I'll go first. That I, It's very interesting to me. The first key takeaway is that India's got some really big bills to pay. You know, this is a country that's got 1.4 billion people. And we heard from different perspectives of our guests that they've got a federal and also state-based health care plans, um, similar to a Medicare where the government's picking up the bill for health care spend. They've also got a housing for all initiative where they're subsidizing the interest rates or making capital available for people to get into homes across the country. And then we also heard about the demonetization of currency, of paper currencies over there. So, you know, putting all these together, Matt, my first key takeaway is that India's government is very involved and really looking out for the good of its people, but it's also going to have to raise a lot of money in tax revenue to be able to pay for all of those bills that it has. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. Uh, you know, and I can't say enough how impressed I was by all three presentations we had over the last two days. My biggest takeaway was not only how large India's population is, about 1.3 billion people, but also how young it is. Almost half of that 1.3 billion number is under the age of 25, and two-thirds are under the age of 35. India's median age, then, is, is well under both the U.S. and China, uh, for comparison's sake. You know, and young people can be a huge boon to an economy. And just to your point, Simon, about uh, rising uh, spending that India will have to do, with a young population, though, you're, they're on the right side of entitlement spending, that they'll have to pay for similar programs uh, to the Social Security and Medicare uh, like, it, like we do in the U.S., so that the, the, their young population should be a boon to that economy going forward. Yeah, no doubt, Matt. And like you just mentioned, those digital initiatives, you know, you've got a tech savvy young population that's going to bring a lot more revenue to pay for those bills, like we said, that India's got. And then just to wrap this up with the third key takeaway, we heard all of our guests kind of focusing on the larger companies, right? We heard about these Indian conglomerate companies that were founded by these visionary leaders decades ago, Reliance, Tata, ITC. I mean, these are multiple tens of billions of dollars. HDFC Bank. You know, these are these are not small companies in India. And the small companies that are publicly traded, a lot of hesitation in investing in those kinds of companies, just because of the risks that are involved about the numbers not being, you know, accounted for or accurate, about them being against those really, really large companies in the first place. I think that this is a market that you probably want to focus on investing in those larger corporations uh, and letting this Indian economy that's growing at seven or 8% a year GDP be a rising tide that rises all of those boats. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us over the past two days to listen to our discussion on investing in India with us. Again, I'm Matthew Cochran, lead advisor with Seven Investing, and we're here to empower you to invest in your future. Have a great day. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.